to apologize for anyone who's been trying to contact me for the last few days. Um, I haven't been able to respond to any of the text messages or whatever. It's just been extremely busy. So I am apologizing publicly so that uh, I can be let off the hook by the beautiful people of God. Say to your neighbor, I'm glad to be in church today. Even if you're not glad to be in church, it's a good thing to say. Hallelujah. I remember growing up in church and uh, as a young believer, hating coming to church. <laughs> I, and then I'd come to church and I'd sit at the back and then even sometimes before the service was over, I would leave because um, I didn't like coming to church. What a change Jesus can make. So if you're in that situation right now, don't worry. God is going to bless you and help you anyway. Don't, don't do what I did. I was a new Christian, so don't copy that bad example. All right, we're going to continue our series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, today I'm going to um, speak on fellowship with the Holy Spirit and then conclude the series next week. Um, there's so many more things we can say. Maybe God willing next year we'll pick it up again and go into details on the gifts of the Spirit. But for now, I want us to look at fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit um, this week and also next week. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of our heart to know what you're saying to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it great to see Matthew and Tossin and the little one in service? Yay. Go, and, go and greet them afterwards and give them a kiss and a hug. But, you know, they'll keep the baby from you. No. Yeah, just uh, let them feel very welcome. It's great. It's amazing. Life is amazing to see Matthew and Tossin with a, a baby. It tells me I'm getting old. All right. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Very simple verse, a benediction that most of us are, are aware of. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, I'm kind of going to go over some of the old ground that we've already taught. So if this seems a bit repetitious, again, please forgive me. But I just feel it's important to go back on some basic things so that we can have a greater understanding of fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Now, God the Father invites all of us as believers to enjoy fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit in the same way that he expects us to experience his grace and to experience his love on a daily basis. So this benediction shows us that God wants us as believers to experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis, on a regular basis. We, we, nobody will dispute that. And he wants us to experience his love on a daily basis, on a regular basis. Again, we will not dispute that. And so, in that same vein, he wants us to experience fellowship 
or communion with the Holy Spirit. And the church is big on the first two, the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God. But when it comes to fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, it kind of becomes like some kind of mystery. But like we've already been learning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 tells us that God does not want us to be ignorant when it comes to the things of the Spirit. In fact, in the Greek, it reads concerning spirituals, God does not want us to be ignorant. In other words, he wants his people to be very conversant when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the dynamics of spiritual things. What does that mean, though? What does it mean for us as God's people to experience fellowship with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis? Well, the Greek word communion here or fellowship in some versions is koinonia, which has with it four basic meanings. The first one is partnership, then communication, then communion, and then distribution. Partnership, communication, communion, and distribution. So you can read it like this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the partnership, communication, communion, and distribution of the Holy Spirit be with you. So what, what does that look like? Okay, so briefly, that word partnership simply means God expects us as believers to be able to have an interaction with the Holy Spirit whereby he comes alongside us and together as partners we do life. We do life with him as partners. We, we walk our journey of faith with him as partners. Now, of course, he is the senior part, partner of the relationship, but nonetheless, we are partners. And in our partnership, there is participation. So there are things that we will hear from him, there are things that he will hear from us, the things that we'll receive from him, and there are things that he will receive from us. There is um, the, the, the word there, social intercourse. So we, we have an interaction with him that is very, very dynamic and very real. And there are even benefits that comes alongside with him. And then in the communication side, clearly, because it's a, it's a, a partnership that we have with him, he will speak to us, and we will hear what he's saying, and then we will speak to him, and he will hear what we are saying. There's the impartation or imparting and exchanging of thoughts, of feelings, of ideas with the Holy Spirit. And then there's that word communion. That word communion literally is the sharing and exchanging of intimate thoughts. Intimate thoughts, intimate feelings. Um, especially on a heart level as well as on a mental level. So it's not a superficial relationship. It's not a relationship with, with him that we just once in a while occasionally interact, but it's intimate, it's deep. And then there is distribution, which is the action of sharing something, um, sharing something um, to others. And so he gives us gifts like we've been learning where we can share, but we also give him something in how we fellowship with him, in our worship, in our heart, in our love, in our responses to him. It is something that gives him pleasure. And you know, there's an interesting verse, and we'll be looking at it a bit later, where we are encouraged or admonished not to quench the Holy Spirit or, or put him out. 
or grieve the Holy Spirit, hurt him. It's interesting. We can literally grieve him in such a way that he is actually hurt. So it's a very dynamic relationship. I wonder, as a child of God, whether you are enjoying that kind of relationship with him. Now, my experience of church life is that to many believers, the Holy Spirit is a mystery. And even theologically, you know, some segments of the church have teachings about the Holy Spirit that kind of relegates him to something other than what the scriptures clearly teach. Now, he is more than a manifestation of God. Some believers teach that because God is a holy God, as a holy God and he is spirit, therefore the Holy Spirit is descriptive of the holy God. But actually, that is not the biblical revelation of the Holy Spirit. And that is not the biblical revelation of God. Yes, God is a holy God. But within God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the scriptures clearly show that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or within the Godhead. And as a distinct person alongside Father and Son, he operates as God or as a divine being. He is also more than uh, an active force. You know, some, some believers him as the power of God. Of course, he is the executor within the Godhead, so to speak. He's the one that makes things happen, but he's more than that. He is literally a distinct divine being alongside Father and Son. There are many scriptures that we could look at, but we don't have time. So I'll give you the reference and you can study it yourself another time. He, for instance, the scriptures teaches us that the Son of God is sent by the Father and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 48 verses 12 and also verse 16 brings this out. The scriptures also show the Holy Spirit descending upon the Son and the Father speaking when our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, was baptized, John chapter 1, 33, Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. And then we see that our Lord in John 14, talking about the Holy Spirit, he's saying that he will pray to the Father to send us the Holy Spirit in his place. John 14, verse 16, John 15, 26, John 16 from verses 7 to 13, and so forth. Um, there are many other scriptures that we could use. For instance, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 tells us or teaches that believers has, have access to the Father through the Son by means of the Holy Spirit. Other things or other aspects of biblical reference to the Holy Spirit includes the fact that the Bible clearly shows his personhood. It shows that he has personality. He's not just a power. He has a personality. He is referred to in the scriptures with personal pronouns by our Lord Jesus. And we'll look at that later on. Our Lord Jesus refers to him as a he. When he comes, he will not speak of himself and so forth. Also, he has personal qualities that are attributed to him. And the one that really, um, the things that really stands out about him is the way in which our Lord refers to him as the comforter. 
the paracletos, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. He comes alongside or comes in place of. So literally, he is like Jesus would have been if he was here physically. And then there are personal pronoun, personal, sorry, personal characteristics that are applied to him to show that he has personality. He has a will, he has a mind, he has emotions. There are various scriptures for this. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 13, 1 Corinthians 2, 11, 12, 11, I beg your pardon, and Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27. These are various scriptures that highlight the reality that the Holy Spirit has personality. And uh, there are many more things we can say, but because of time, I want to move on and emphasize the importance of having a proper relationship with him. Because without a proper relationship with the Holy Spirit, we'll not be able to appreciate the things of the Spirit and the way in which God wants to have leadership over our lives. Now, God speaks to us through his word, but he speaks to us through his word by the person of the Holy Spirit. And if we look at the scriptures without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can end up actually in some kind of bondage. Because the scriptures teach us that the letter kills, it's, but the spirit gives life. So reading the Bible alone is not enough. And that's why at times very intelligent people stumble at the simplicity of the scriptures because it's more than human intelligence it's supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God the scripture tells us that the things of the Spirit are foolishness to the natural man so there are things that relate to the Holy Spirit and how he does things that to the natural man will be senseless will be like that's a nonsense you take something like speaking in tongues to the natural man what's the point of it this ba 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 it's better to learn french or spanish but when you understand spiritual dynamics you understand the importance of the dynamic of speaking in other languages or tongues as the scriptures teach because within that dynamic as we're going to see there are realities, spiritual realities that empowers believers to be able to access the things of God with a lot more freedom than they would otherwise. So it's very important for us to have a proper relationship with him. God wants us to understand the things of the spirit in order for us to work with him because the things of the spirit are not complicated. Honestly, Man may complicate it, but you're not complicated. It's easy to teach the things of the Spirit to children. It is. I find it harder to teach it to so-called intelligent people than people who um, are able to just simply believe what the Bible says. Because when it comes to God's kingdom, it is, now don't get me wrong, intelligence is very important. God is a, is an infinitely intelligent being. Don't get me wrong. We need intelligence, but intelligence must be rooted in revelation. That's the point. The things of the Spirit are very simple. Isaiah 28, 9, and 13, kind of, 9 to 13 kind of brings out the principle when it comes to the things of God and, the, and how God speaks to us and how the Spirit moves and speaks to us. He says, whom will he teach knowledge? 
And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. So it's like this. The way he deals with us and the way he speaks to us is a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. For instance, when I first got saved, I didn't believe a lot of Genesis, especially the creation narrative. I didn't believe it because I had a mindset that had been programmed to believe evolution. So I didn't believe it. But what I didn't do, I didn't discard it either. I just put it on the shelf and said, well, I don't get this bit of it. I, I believe Jesus is real and so forth, but this bit I don't get. But as I grew in faith and understood the ways of God and the things of God, what really surprised me was the fact that God limited himself to six days. That surprised me because he could have just said everything exists now, boom. But the fact that he put sequence to creation really surprised me. So as I began to learn about God, I realized, wow, God is an amazing God. He can do anything he likes. And I began to realize that the realm of God and the realm of the supernatural far supersedes the natural. And you know, our Lord Jesus said something to the educated Sadducees and Pharisees when they questioned him about the resurrection and they questioned him about the existence of God and so forth. He said to them, listen, you are in serious error not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. You need... As Children of God, we need to both know what the Word of God teaches, but we also need to know the power of God in its reality. It can't just be cerebral. It can't just be head knowledge. It has to be dynamic. Because, listen, there are things out there that is happening that will challenge your faith, and if you don't have a real dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit, you will get unstuck. It's as simple as that. He says, are you still here? Say to your neighbor, I'm listening. 11 says, For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to these people, to whom he said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they will not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And this is the shocker. That they may go and fall backward, and be broken and be snared and caught. In other words, no matter how sequential God does it, because of the way these guys are so rebellious, God will do it properly, but they will still stumble. So it, when it comes to the things of God, if your heart is not right, you won't get it. If your heart is full of your own pride and your own arrogance and your own conceit, the things of the Spirit will trip you up. However, it is possible for the child of God to know the mind of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We have received the Spirit of God so that we can know what God has freely given to us. Beloved, it is not a mystery for you. 
It's all there in the Word. And the Holy Spirit, who God has given to you, can reveal to you all that is yours. Can you say amen? Now, the best way to become familiar with the mind of God is to be familiar with the Scriptures and to be able to rightly divide the Word of God because the Holy Spirit will never reveal anything to you or I that is contrary to what is clearly revealed in Scripture. It won't. At times, as a pastor, people will tell me God is telling them all kinds of bizarre things. For instance, God does not need to tell you to wake up in the morning. Generally speaking, you know, at times I hear people say God woke them up. No, he did not. God did not wake you up. There is a difference when God wakes us up. You know, oh, you know, he set me on my way. No, he didn't. You've got a routine that you follow. You know, these religious things seem nice, but God did, God did not create you as a robot. You know, very interestingly, when I, when, I'm looking, when I was looking at how the Spirit of God did things in the book of Acts, one time he stopped Paul the Apostle and his team from preaching in different places. He stopped them. They tried to go and preach here and he stopped them. Tried to go and preach there, he stopped them. Tried to go and preach there, he stopped them. And then finally, Paul had a vision. Uh, he dreamt, and in the dream, in a vision, he sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And then the Bible says they, they assumed that God had opened the door to Macedonia. So my question was, up, this is the great apostle Paul. Up until this point, he has been going about preaching everywhere, regardless of whether he heard God tell him or not. Now, so God then had to tell him, don't go and preach there, and don't go and preach there. In other words, the Holy Spirit does not tell you to do what you know you're supposed to do. At times, some people have this thing where they're walking down the street and they'll see a little bit of rubbish there, and then they, they say, God told them to go and pick up the rubbish. Then they put them and then says, God tell them, and they, they, then they end up in this bind. Oh, I must go around picking up rubbish. No, that is not God. That is your own foolishness. That is stupid. If you want to pick up the rubbish, pick it up. If you don't want to pick it up, don't pick it up. People are paid for that. Honestly. Are you still here? Or people say something like, okay, God, if you love me, let a bus 37 come by. And a bus 73 comes by. Oh, my goodness. God doesn't love me anymore. This is all foolishness. That's not how the Spirit speaks to us. Now, you may have a coincidence that will occur here and there. You say, do I believe in coincidences? Of course. Coincidence happens. Look, if I, if I have a, 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 a dice and I throw it, there are, it can turn into six or five or three or whatever. It's a random thing. It wasn't divine. Goodness me. Look at the way you're looking at me. God didn't orchestrate it. And if I, if I put something in the, the thing so that if I throw it, you know, you can do something to the dice. So you throw it and you always go to the number you want. It's not the move of God. It's cheating. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, the Holy Spirit does not do for you 
what you're supposed to do for yourself. He doesn't. He doesn't. He does not cheat exams. So if you don't study, he's not going to give you information for you to pass when the other person who hasn't got no Holy Spirit has been studying. He doesn't cheat. Neither does he transfer money that doesn't belong to you. <laughs> Honestly. All this lottery in church. Now the devil does, by the way. Those are the tactics of the devil. So not all supernatural things that people attach scripture to should be validated as a work of God if it contradicts a clear principle of the scriptures. Are you still here? All right. So the best way to be familiar with how the spirit will do things or speak is to be familiar with scripture. And also, when it comes to how the Spirit leads us, there are two very important dynamics that must always be held in tension. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If these two dynamics are not in tension, you can end up in having an, an, uh, the wrong kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 highlights the importance. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What is the fear of the Lord? It is simply having the proper reverence or the proper respect and honor for God to the point where you do what is right. Whether it's in big things or whether it's in small things, you have the proper honor and respect for God. Whether it's in secret or public, you do what is right. Look at a few scriptures. Job chapter 28 verse 28 says, And to man, he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. In other words, when we have the proper reverence for God, we are using our knowledge accurately. It's the proper use of knowledge. To have God at the proper place in our hearts. And when we have that, what will happen is we will not do the wrong thing because to depart from evil is the understanding of the fear of the Lord. See, because at times people say, oh, as for me, I really fear God. I know I'm sinning right now, but I really fear God. No, you are really deluded. It is better for you to say, you know what, God, I don't care what you think. I want to do this thing because I feel like it but I know it's not the right thing, please help me out. That's much more honest. Isn't that so? Look at the way you're looking at me, all of you over here. You didn't even respond, you just looked at me. We have to be honest. In my journey with the Lord, that's one of the things I've learned, that at times, in the middle of my sinning, I will be dialoguing with him. I'm saying, now, Dad, we both know what's going to happen right now. I'm really sorry, but you know I'm not really sorry. I feel sorry because I'm going to feel bad after it, but I'm still going to do it. You're going to have to help me. Please don't tell anyone. Please don't tell. I'm about to sin, and I'm talking, and then I sin, and I feel bad, and then 
And then I, I'm like, now, nah, Lord, I don't even want to talk to you anymore, but I'm going to be going to church later, so I'm really sorry. So you're going to have to help me, help me, help me. And I said, please don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anyone. So that was how it was in my younger days as I was growing up in the faith. And when I'd feel guilty after I did the wrong thing, I'd tell him I'm feeling really bad, not because I'm not going to do it again. We both know the deal. We're going to do it again. I'm not even going to lie. I'm gonna, I could, it's like my children. They say to me, Dad, give me one more chance. I'm never going to do it again. I know they're going to do it again. Dad, please give me one more chance. And I said, okay, I'll give you another chance. I'll never do it again. They're convinced they'll never do it again. I'm convinced they will because I know them. It's normal. But as time goes on, you get stronger and stronger and you begin to change. And after a while, it gets like this. No, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, give me strength. I don't want to do this anymore. Especially as I'm about to preach. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and, and, and after a while, you change, you change, you change, and then you really change. But nobody starts out. Don't believe in these people who claim since they serve the Lord, they've never gone back. They're, they're, they haven't gone back on one area. They've gone back on loads of other areas. Don't believe them. It's normal. It's part of the journey. It's part of the journey. But here's the point. The fear of the Lord will cause you not to do the wrong thing. And so I, I asked him for his fear. I asked him for his fear. I asked him for his fear. Many years ago, I would ask him, help me to have the fear of the Lord. Help me to have the fear of the Lord. Help me to have the fear of the Lord. Now, of course, since the Holy Spirit is already in us, intrinsically we have it, but experientially it's not there. So I keep asking for it to become a reality, and then it becomes a reality over time. So it's the fear of the Lord. Another scripture, Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. One day I'll do a proper teach on this because it's a very powerful revelation. He says, in the fear of the Lord, there is, a, a, there is strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. There isn't insecurity. There is no, no. There is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge or a place of safety. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Wow! To turn one away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's a source of life. And it protects you from the traps of death. When you fear the Lord, you have no fear of anybody else. Or anything else. There is no power on the earth. There is no witchcraft. There is no manipulation. There is no family member. There is no pastor. There is nobody that you're afraid of. Nobody. Scripture says the righteous are as bold as a lion. You're not afraid. You can speak the truth in love. Even though you know they're going to kill you afterwards. You tell them you're wrong. In Jesus' name. Speak the truth. You're not afraid. Because it's a strong confidence. Hallelujah. So the fear of the Lord and then the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What is that? It is the consoling of the Spirit. It is the, the way he comes alongside to strengthen us, to comfort us, to encourage us, to lift us up when we are down, to help us along the journey. 
without a proper balance between the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we end up in danger of reducing our fellowship with the Holy Spirit to him being our servant rather than us being subservient to him. That's what happens. And that's what happens with many Christians because to them, God is like a jukebox or a slot machine where you put your prayer um, request in, and where's where the answer? What's happening here? Why haven't you answered me? That's, not, that's a machine. That's not a relationship. That's not how it is. My children at times will, t- will tell me, like the other day I told one of my children, I'm not going to mention when it happened. I told one of them not to do something, and they did it. And they blatantly disobeyed me. And I didn't even bother talk to the Lord about it because I knew what he was going to say. That's how you are with me. Because I was thinking, what am I going to do with this person? And I just, I just could hear it in them. I didn't even bother ask because I knew that's how you are with me. That's exactly how you are with me. And how, how do I deal with you? And he's been very, very patient, very, very nice, and very, very kind, and very, very generous, and very, very loving. Don't tell my children any of this. But the point I'm making is this. The Holy Spirit is God. He is not your servant. He comes alongside to help you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to encourage you. But make sure you have the right heart attitude always towards him. Honoring him as the God he is. Honoring him as the Lord he is. Honoring him and allowing him to have the proper place in our hearts. Because of time, I want to conclude with the following. Give me another 10 minutes or so. Uh, uh, And these are not in your notes. Now, in your notes, I've given you what Jesus says about him. Our Lord says many things about him. It's in the notes. I don't want to go into it because of time. I want to talk about how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. How we fellowship with him. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. These are not in your notes. I'm really sorry. Um, I can give them out later. Ephesians 5, verses verses 18 to 21. Really, even earlier on, there is more you can, you can see there, but let's take it up from verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, honestly, these verses actually show us how we walk in the Holy Spirit's influence, how we are filled with him, how we continue to maintain his influence over our hearts. Um, The first thing I want to point out is this. You must surrender yourself to his leadership. Surrender Surrender yourself to his leadership. The scripture tells us in Romans 8.14 that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now what that means, it doesn't mean, let me just say it like this, it doesn't mean that if you are not led by the Spirit of God, you're not born again. It doesn't mean that. 
it means is that those who are led by the Spirit of God show themselves to be sons of God. They reveal who they really are. And at times, we have to intentionally surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why it says, do not be drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be controlled and influenced and be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Just like wine affects the behavior and the personality and the speech of those that are intoxicated with it, so also the Holy Spirit wants to affect our behavior our speech, our personality, because we are intoxicated with him. Second point I want you to see is this. Commit yourself to a lifestyle of holiness and purity if you want to have fellowship with him. If you want to have fellowship and maintain fellowship, then holiness and purity is essential. When we get born again, we are imputed with righteousness. We cannot be any more righteous than what Jesus is after we get born again. And we're also imputed with holiness. So we, we, we start off as a holy people. But we are also supposed to perfect holiness or grow in holiness or mature in holiness. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, New Living Translation says it like this. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. So we should not be filled with wine wearing excess, but we should be filled with the Spirit. We should be controlled by the Spirit. And one of the ways we demonstrate that we're controlled by the Spirit is we set our hearts to live in a manner that honors his leadership over our lives. Third thing I want to point out is if we want to have fellowship with him, we should be careful not to grieve him. We should be careful not to grieve him. So look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 onwards. It says, and I think I'm reading the New Living Translation, it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit or do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit or do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. The reality or the fact that he lives inside of you is a guarantee that you're already saved. So don't grieve him. Don't make him sad by how you're living. I'm talking about fellowship with the Holy Spirit now. How we live is so important to how we'll fellowship with him. How we live will affect how we relate to him. And this is, I believe this is, what I'm saying is one of the reasons why many believers 
don't have proper fellowship with the Holy Spirit because they want to live from carnality, from self-will. Can you say ouch? <laughs> 31. Get rid of all bitterness. Now, this is how we don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. That's how we don't make him sad. It's not by not shouting loud and speaking in tongues. It's not by not dancing because the music is really beaty. This is how you make him happy where he wants to have fellowship with you. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why do I need to forgive one another? Why do we need to forgive one another? Because we're going to be offended by each other. It's called welcome to the family. That's how it is. At times it surprises me that Christians get surprised that Christians are not behaving like Christians. As if they themselves have made it. Honestly. Get over yourself, hey. Say to your neighbor, I'm getting over myself. Hmm. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. These are the ways by which we position ourselves to be able to have unhindered fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Next point. So how we have fellowship with him, make time to spend, take time out or make time to spend in his presence. Make time, or that, that, even, that doesn't sound like proper English, but how do you say it? Make time to spend in his presence. Is that proper English? It sounds a bit grammatically funny. Spend time in his presence. Now, often we start with spend time in his presence. When there are all these other issues that we are not looking at. The forgiving each other, being nice to one another, being kind, saying nice things to others, thinking pleasant thoughts. At times you have a bad thought about somebody that comes to your mind about people that comes to your mind. Hey, you really look holy today. About, you know, you have bad thoughts that come. And then you can actually say, no, I reject this in Jesus' name. That's proper spiritual warfare. That's real, not I bind you devil. No, just, it's not the devil. You've had the thought. Say, I reject this in Jesus' name. That is warfare. People think warfare is shouting, I bind the devil, the prince of the power, the north. No, deal with yourself. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. Take time in his presence through prayer, worship, the word. Learn to be sensitive to him. Those things are fantastic. Prayer, worship, the word. But make sure the other stuff are in place first. It's so important. How many times, at time, how many of you at times in your journey with the Lord, it's really going well, and then suddenly you start to experience a blockage? Suddenly, when you try to pray, it's not flowing like you used to. Huh? Do you have that from time to time? And so you start binding the devil. Devil, wherever you are in this room holding my prayers, come down, Jesus. Why don't you just simply ask, okay, Lord, what, what have I done? Have I said or done something? And then the first thought that came to your mind, that's it. 
That's the Lord. So no, devil, I refuse you. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. No, it's not. That's the, that's the one. Go and say sorry. No, there's no need to say sorry. I've forgiven them. Liar. No, no, no. no. It's just you're too proud. But I'm trying to break through. I'm trying to. And it says, Your tongues are no longer alive. You're quoting the Bible. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not to men but to God. It's not flowing. Go and say sorry. Sometimes I have to go and say sorry to my children. Hey, they really like it. I go and say, I'm really sorry. And some of them say, I have not forgiven you. <laughs> ah, I like their honesty. At least they're telling the truth. You know what we say? I have forgiven you, but not really. They say, I have not forgiven you. So, no, I'm not talking to you right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Also, feed on the word. That's one of the ways in which you position yourself to have fellowship with him. Feed on the word. And then talk to him from the word. What does this mean? Lord. Now, please, don't get me wrong. When you ask what does this mean, he's not gonna, there's not going to be a miss like Moses. It means... Well, it might be. I don't know. Maybe you're at that level. But it might mean go and research. And as you research, he will let something come clearer to you. Sometimes, after you've done all your research, sometimes after I've done all my research, there's still not an answer. And I say, Dad, I don't get what is this? Then I'll pray in tongues and pray in tongues. I like praying in tongues. And then I go back to it and ping, ping, ping. It makes sense. But we did the research first. So feed on the word. And then I've already alluded to it. Pray with your spirit as well as your understanding. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2 says this. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. No, for no one, no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So this cannot be he's speaking Spanish or he's speaking French or he's speaking German. Because no one understands him. He's speaking mysteries. That word mysteries in the Greek means he's speaking things that pertain to the kingdom of God that belong to the church. Verse 4 says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself or charges or strengthens or builds up himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. 5 says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. And then we've been doing spiritual gifts also, prophecy. He wants us all to prophesy. But I don't want to go into that. And then I want you to see verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the spirit, and I'll also sing with the understanding. And here is a wonderful dynamic where... You can charge your spirit in such a way that you connect with God as you pray in the spirit and then you pray in your understanding. You can begin to understand what the Holy Spirit is praying through you or praying for with other people. Also, another way in which you make it easy for you to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you cultivate an atmosphere of praise and thanksgiving. 
an atmosphere of praise and thanksgiving. The scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people Israel. God dwells in praise. In other words, God is very comfortable in an atmosphere of praise and of thanksgiving, of adoration, which we commonly refer to as worship. So when you do that, when you allow yourself to do that spontaneously, as well as you taking time out with him, you, it becomes easier to be able to hear what the Spirit wants to say to you. And then learn to ask him questions. This is one of the things that I find very useful, especially if you feel like God is telling you something. If you see something, if you have a dream, if you have a word, ask him, Lord, what are you saying? And then wait for a response. And don't guess the response. If you don't know, just say, I don't know. Many times when I ask the Holy Spirit questions, I say, I don't know what you're telling me. I just say to him, my mind is saying all these things to me. I'm getting all these things in my mind. I don't know which one is you. So can you make it clear to me? Yeah. Isn't that simple enough? Rather than guessing, it's God. I I don't know what you're saying. I say, Lord, I really don't know what you're saying. I think my mind is just playing tricks with me right now. So could you make it clear? And he has a way of making it clear. Oh, I I say to him, if if I see something that I don't like or I think is really scary, I say, why? What does this mean? Lord, what does this mean? What are you saying to me? If I read something in the scriptures that I don't understand or I think this is really not nice, I say, wow, Lord, this seems really mean. Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Please help me to understand your fear and all that. Please. Because I don't want to disrespect, but this, doesn't, this sounds a bit kind of horrible. Ask questions. And then finally, finally, Always obey his directives. Always obey what he tells you. In Acts chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, it says, While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. It's interesting that he says, doubting nothing. Because Peter must have at times questioned what he felt God was saying or doing a lot. Doubting nothing. So, learn to obey. Once you see it in the scriptures, once you see it as clearly from the Lord, learn to obey. And most of the time, it will relate to issues about your character. Issues that have to do with you humbling yourself conforming yourself to the image of Christ. Those are the areas that he will often challenge you in. Not some obscure, bizarre something that will impinge on your destiny. At times people would say, God told them something and any normal board knows this is crazy. Sometimes Christians tend to allow for crazy things. You've heard me share my Elijah story. Many, many years ago, as a young Christian, me and my, one of my friends, close friends, was fellowshipping with somebody who believed he was Elijah. He believed he was Elijah. And my friend also thought maybe he was Elijah. And... I wasn't sure. 
because I'm a new Christian. You don't want to stop what God is doing. So I was listening to his preaching, and my brother, not Alfred, the other one, who was not a Christian, as I was listening to his preaching, my brother passed by, and he heard him, and he said, Joe, who is that? So I opened my mouth to say, well, you know, he's a, he thinks he's Elijah. So my brother said, ah, in African Ghanaian, ah, ah, Joe, do you believe he's Elijah? That solved the mystery. <laughs> Sometimes Christians, we are too gullible. So judge what you are hearing with scripture. Can you say amen? All right, so this is part one. We'll pick it up next week and bring it to a conclusion. I want us to pray and ask the Lord to just really bless us and help us. I believe that as a people, we are used to enjoying the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But for some of us, we've allowed the fear of the Lord to slip. I want to pray for you. If you are consecrating yourself afresh to the Lord concerning his fear. That you're saying to him, Lord, I want your holy fear to govern me as well as your comfort. If that is you, I want to pray with you before I hand back to Edmund. I want you to stand where you are. And I'm going to just pray with you that the Lord will give you grace to not only embrace the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but the fear of the Lord as well. And as you stand, just raise your hands to him. And just say to him, Lord, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you've given me your spirit. And that he not only comforts me, but I walk in your fear. Just say it in your own words right now, and then we'll just pray. Just consecrate yourself to him in that area. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Wonderful Father, thank you for these precious ones that are standing right now. And Father, I ask for your grace upon them as they stand before you. Lord, will you fill them afresh with the fear of the Lord? Will you grant them wisdom and revelation concerning your fear? Will you help them as your people to walk in the fear of the Lord as well as the comfort of the Holy Spirit? I speak grace over them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Take your seats. I feel impressed to pray into the comfort area. Those of you that have felt, have not um, been able to receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit, to see him as the one who comes alongside to help you. And you see him as something else. And that today you are saying you are receiving him as the one that comes alongside to help you as the comforter. If that is you, why don't you stand right now? I want to pray into that as well. That you are receiving him as the comforter. Not just walking in the fear of the Lord, but also in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you stand quickly? Just want to pray. If you, as you stand, just raise your hands to him. You stand in faith. You know that he loves you. Our Lord Jesus died for you. And because of you, the Holy Spirit was sent. And he's there to come alongside in your weakness, in your fear, in your failure, and to strengthen you and to help you. Father, I bless.
these that are standing right now. And I ask for your grace upon them. I ask that they will not only experience your fear, but they will know the comfort of your spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you. God bless you.